Christmas is a beautiful opportunity to reflect upon the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's also a profound time to reflect upon the pro-life message and movement. Tune in for today's episode, talking about abortion from a slightly different perspective. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I'm the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform culture. Wow. 2022 is winding down quickly. Uh, winding might not even be a fair word. We are hurtling towards the finish line. This has uh, been a, an incredible year for so many reasons, for so many um, beautiful um, and and miraculous, um, many would say, um, changes, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, beautiful changes internationally in many South American, Central American countries, European countries as well, Poland, Malta, um, Hungary, countless others, tragedies of implementation of constitutional amendments at the state level. So many things have happened in this year. And while next week, my colleague Jonathan and I are going to kind of put a bow, as it were, on the year 2022 from the vantage point of CCBR and the Pro-Life Guys podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking a, a little bit about a, a Christmas reflection from a little bit of a different perspective, that not to put cold water on an incredible year of 2022, but I think that it's a really powerful opportunity to reflect upon the abortion issue and and the pro-life uh, message of life from the perspective of the wounded because as we as we reflect upon the christmas message while obviously there is tremendous joy and and beauty that that comes with the incarnation and birth of our lord jesus christ um the it's important obviously to recognize why did christ need to come to the world because of the brokenness of us poor sinners, um, and that while yet sinners, the Lord gave his only son for our salvation, for our hope, for our healing. And in today's episode, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Kevin Burke, um, who is a licensed social worker, and together with his wife, Teresa, co-founders of Rachel's Vineyard, the, um, the largest um, post-abortive healing ministry um, and retreat program. Um, internationally, they host over a thousand retreats every year for post-abortive mothers and fathers um, healing from abortion. Um, and I think that Kevin offers a beautiful perspective in how we can reflect upon not only 2022 as a year um, on its own, but also on the message of life and the experience of post-abortive mothers and fathers approaching this Christmas season and how charity Empathy, great love, and the sharing of Christ's mercy is so valuable and so important, even during this this season where, I mean, it, it's difficult to to focus on joy too much. I'm, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't be as joyful as we are as it um, as we prepare for Christmas and and experience Christmas, but but rather that there's a poignant um, component of the Christmas message that is so vital and can be unfortunately perceived as a double-edged sword for those who are post-abortive because of the the triggers that, and as Kevin will talk about, I'm sure, um, will come up for many of them as they experience the, the family components, the celebration components, the birth of Christ amidst adversity and difficulty and challenges, um, that this is a, a beautiful time to talk about the perseverance of 
uh, Mary and Joseph, the the beauty of the shepherds and the magi and and the courage and and all that kind of stuff. But with that, it's important to bear in our minds the experience of those who didn't make the choice of Mary and Joseph, that that didn't have that courage, that, that made a tragic decision to end the life of their child. And so I'm so thrilled to have Kevin joining us um, for for this conversation. Um, And without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin Burke, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard. All right, Kevin, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be with you. Good, good. It, it is a joy as well, especially as we enter into this Christmas season to be talking with um, longtime leaders of the pro-life movement. And one thing that I've learned from from Scott Klusendorf is that for many people, journeys into the pro-life movement don't necessarily unfold the way that they do for people's journeys into accounting or, or academia or trades necessarily. Scott Klusendorf often talks about there being something of a summoning into the pro-life movement. And I wonder, um, Kevin, about your journey into the pro-life movement, as, as our audience now knows, you're the co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard. You've been very involved with Priest for Life and Silent No More Awareness Campaign. How did this all begin for you? What does what your journey and summonings into the pro-life movement look like? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really uh, deep kind of question. And it touches upon actually the mystery of marriage, because uh, really my journey into uh, this particular aspect of the pro-life movement is inseparable from being married to Teresa. Uh, and that exciting and adventurous journey that that has been. So I graduated with a degree in uh, social work, a graduate degree in social work with a heavy emphasis on a secular perspective on counseling, kind of a non-judgmental uh, approach. So I was doing marriage and family counseling and working for Catholic charities down here in Philadelphia. Also had some experience working at a, in a psychiatric facility. So, uh, and with foster children and I brought that experience. And then at the same time, we start having children and Teresa is um, getting her graduate degree in counseling psychology. Part of a counseling a psychology experience is that you have an internship an internship at a clinic for women with eating disorders, anorexia and bulimia. And to make a long story short, uh, you can read the whole story in her book, Forbidden Grief, but it, she had a, this group and one evening the subject of abortion came up. And, you know, 70, 80% of the participants, it turns out, had abortions and they had varied responses to it, but some of them were really intense. Uh, a lot of anger and pain. And so she's thinking, not from a pro-life perspective, but just from a psychological perspective. I wonder, you know, it's, it seems that this event was definitely volatile, perhaps dramatic for some and connected to some of their previous experiences of abuse. And so maybe I should explore it. So she talks to her su- a supervisor, who is a psychiatrist. He's supervising her internship at the clinic. And she says, look, I think I might want to explore this a little more. And he just, he just stopped stopped her cold and said, uh, no, you're not going to do that. That abortion has nothing to do with their symptoms. And of course, you know that that, and this is the mystery, I guess, of, uh, of life sometimes is that that rejection actually propelled her to say, wait a minute, if they're shutting this down, then there's a lot of women out there. And then we learn later learn men, <laughs> there's a lot of women who are hurting. And, uh, she went on to develop, 
a psychological and spiritual healing program for these women called Rachel's Vineyard. And that's where, that's a long way, <laughs> but an important way of saying how I got involved at that point. To, to gotcha. That. And and that's so beautiful. Um, as we've talked on the program before, for, for any new audience members, that, that this is a, a beautiful and essential component of all pro-life outreach of being um, hand in hand with these professional counselors and, and healing ministries. Because when we think of the statistics of, of just how many people in North America have experienced abortion, have chosen abortion, um, and, and oftentimes not just one abortion, but oftentimes multiple um, once they've gone down that road once. And I'm sure that... Um, that 2022 has been a, a fascinating year on on your angle from your from your perspective because of the impact of kind of bringing this fresh to the mind of so many moms and dads who are post-abortive. I, I feel like there's been a lot of coverage, um, even on on this show, about kind of the celebrations that come around the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the Dobbs decision. We've We've grappled with the the constitutional changes that have come um, at state levels and and that kind of thing. But I'm curious, when you reflect on 2022, from the vantage point of working with so many moms and dads who have chosen abortion and and offering that hope and healing, have you seen a change either in the volume of people that that you've been working with, either in um, the, the kind of nature of the retreats that Rachel's Vineyard and, and Silent No More have been hosting. What does 2022 look like from your vantage point? Well, certainly at the time of the, um, of Roe v. Wade being overturned, it was a time when that issue was in the, in the news a lot. So that has two effects. For those who have experienced abortion at some point in their life and have experienced healing, it resurfaces a lot of those feelings and it also resurfaces a sense of regret of how that decision impacted their life because the legalization of abortion, it being socially sanctioned, many of the stories we hear in Rachel's Rooney retreats when they talk about their decision to abort and they're young people, teenagers, early twenties, college, and they talk about the fact that it's legal and accept it as being an important influencing factor in their decision to abort. They didn't quite articulate that at the time, but in retrospect, it was powerful. So that touches them. And so that's one issue. For those who have not had healing, uh, there's there's two factors here I'd like to bring in. One is, I think you, would, you probably saw a lot in the news of people who were uh, protesting, very angry, Talking about wanting to codify and and make sure that uh, the law, you know, the law of the land becomes becomes abortion up through pregnancy. That there's no restrictions at all, just a very radical reaction to Roe. That's more radical than most abortion policies in most countries around the world is what they're proposing for the United States. And, and what I see as someone who has worked in this field for many, many years is that reaction is coming out of the fact that many of these same people have personally experienced abortion, have counseled others to get abortion, have been complicit in very direct ways in facilitating the over 65 million abortions just here in the U.S. Uh, and so you're seeing very powerful emotional reactions that are channeled into activism, but yet have very powerful roots in unresolved emotional and spiritual wounds that abortion inflicts on folks. Now that's a mouthful. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. 
So that, that points to, the, and that of course points to us that the important that I've been writing about that the importance of education, the importance when we're in, when we are speaking to people about this issue, when it comes up, when there's contention, when there's reactivity and pain, and people are talking about the fact that they want to make they they had an abortion and they want to make sure that other people have that right. Try to get past the politics and the social fireworks and ask them to talk about their experience of abortion. What was that like for you? You know, and to the degree that they're willing to trust you and open up further, you'll find that it takes you in the direction of them beginning to at least share a little bit about from their heart. And then you might have an opening where you can maybe place a few seeds for a future healing. Gotcha. And and maybe Kevin, I'll, I'll even ask you to dive into that a little bit more. I, I know that this was um, and and will be our, our Christmas episode, but I, I think that this is so valuable because obviously we're we're just over a month away, time of recording and even posting um, from the March for Life in in DC. Well, not it makes me think of, I mean, a lot of the pro life outreach that we do, we we encounter what we call counter protesters kind of things and and reflect the exact thing that that you mentioned and sometimes i have a really difficult time especially at events like a march for life where you have so many very well-meaning people very they've got gigantic hearts for pre-born children but they often at times don't have a tremendous amount of training and preparation for the interactions that they might encounter and i i was speaking at one of the regional march for lives up here in canada this past year and there was a a handful of people who had rented um bullhorns and and were shouting out pro choice slogans and whatnot and the response that i saw unfortunately was often one of two things that there were some very well-meaning um lovely older catholic women that were generously sprinkling them with holy salt um and there were some other folks who had kind of put on the the academics of the tweed jacket and horn rim glasses and just wanted to sit down and have a philosophical debate about the merits the pros and cons philosophically of of abortion and and free speech and all that sort of thing and and so i wonder as somebody who has a tremendous amount of not only training but also obviously experience and insight into this when when you encounter somebody as you mentioned and and you you've already touched on it already but say that you're in that position you're at a march for life you're at a a pro-life rally of some sort and there's somebody who is demonstrating such a, a degree of attachment to abortion. If you could give folks, or, or even if you could play that, if, if you could be the person replicated interacting with each of those people, what are your kind of go-to moves when it, not not strategically, how do you um, kind of cowboy up and, and shepherd them into agreeing with you, but, but what is your approach when you encounter somebody who has been demonstrating, whether it's brokenness, whether it's um, deep attachment to the abortion issue, where are you going to try to move that interaction and, and relationship, I guess? Well, the timing and the atmosphere of the situation is really important because if somebody's, mm-hmm. somebody's firing, if their brain and nervous system are firing from a perspective of feeling threatened yeah. or they're reacting out of trauma that's being triggered by the pro-lifers, yeah. you know, uh, then uh, their brain is not is going to be it's very going to be very difficult for them to be calm enough to engage with you in a way that can be productive. However, sometimes you're at events where there's some of that going on, but that you you notice there's some of the participants who are a little less fired up, and they're there, and you might be able to to open up a conversation with them. 
Do you know women who have experienced abortion or men? Yes, them. Um, you know, what have you talked about their experience of abortion with them? And as you do that, you might find that they say, I had an abortion myself and it was the best thing that I ever did. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you're doing okay. But would you mind telling me, would you mind sharing a little bit about the circumstances of that experience? You know, was the father involved in the decision? What was going on in your life at the time? And just very gently, and, and you know, if the person says, you know, they'll, they'll let you know whether you can take the next step, <laughs> each step of that conversation. Um, the other thing that we can do, though, and I've seen this so many times at the March for Life, um, after the March for Life in Washington, D.C., uh, the Silent Memorial Awareness Campaign will have testimonies of women and men who have experienced abortion. And they'll share a short, you know, three minute or so synopsis of their journey and, and most importantly, uh, the healing that they experienced. And even when there's protesters there and, and they're really fired up initially and sometimes even trying to shout down the women and men, I find that over time they begin to tire. And probably because they're not triggered and reacting. And then they begin to hear. And I note and I watch and I see they're listening and it's touching. And then you pray, you know, that the Lord will touch them. And I think that that begins to penetrate. And at the same time, they're holding the signs of the campaign, which are, are not in your face. They're positive. I regret my abortion. I regret lost fatherhood. I regret not being able to be a grandparent. I regret performing abortions. I, I regret being involved in the abortion industry. Those signs can also, all these things can come together to touch the person. And because we're planting seeds, we're planting seeds knowing that they will in time uh, with God's help, uh, you know, hopefully bring them to a greater awareness. Absolutely. I, I think that's so beautiful and such a such an important way of unpacking that experience for people that, that hits so close to home. And I feel like at times, apologetics-oriented organizations such as um, the one that I work for, at times we've made the, the massive error, in my opinion, of separating what we used to call head apologetics from heart apologetics of like, you hammer them with the truth until you realize that it's not breaking through. And then you change tactics and you you try to engage their heart. And I think more and more we're learning about what what you kind of talked about of the importance of human apologetics. Do we need to encounter this person on a human level, open up an opportunity where they can share about their experience? And, and that might be a bit of a geyser starting out because of the built up emotion that, that has been um, kind of steeping for years or decades or whatever it may be. Um, but giving that a, an appropriate place to open up and share what they've been through and, and who's involved in that decision and all that kind of stuff. And, and the vulnerability that you shared about, I, I think is absolutely incredible. Um, and as I mentioned in, in the intro and, and Kevin, as you and I talked about briefly before we hit the record button, um, we're going to do a, a full episode on um, Rachel's Vineyard and Silent Moore and, and unpacking some of the experiences that many pro-lifers are going to encounter as they're engaging folks in conversation. Um, and so to, to pivot a little bit, um, sure. we talked a little bit about 2022, about um, your reflection on that. We're coming into the Christmas season here. And for a lot of pro-lifers, Christmas is is a time, obviously, where, where pro-life activism kind of changes or, or becomes a little bit quieter because it's a bit weird um, to be doing um, pro-life outreach in front of the, the local Walmart or whatever on the day before Christmas kind of thing. A, a lot of groups are, are kind of quieting down for the year as they wrap up. And 
one thing that we often try to do year over year with this show is that that doesn't necessarily mean that the pro-life worldview movement um, position should be entirely forgotten, that Christmas actually presents a very profound opportunity to reflect upon the message of life and ultimately the brokenness of our culture. And so I figured um, as somebody who has a, a different kind of perspective and paradigm on the abortion conversation, especially as it has unfolded this year, what goes through your mind, whether whether it's the same thing every year as you approach Christmas or whether you think that it'll be a little bit different in this year that, that has been so monumental with the, the Supreme Court ruling? What goes through your mind as you prepare with your family for the Christmas season? What comes to mind is how this is such a, a this is such a beautiful time for people to hear a message about healing. Mm the wounds of abortion. And the reason it's a perfect time is because uh, people are being triggered. They don't often realize it. And again, this comes from those who have come through healing, oftentimes through many years, sometimes, oftentimes multiple abortion experiences. And they talk to us about how under the surface, consciously, semi-consciously, sometimes very consciously, they're hearing about you know, the experience of the uh, conception of Jesus in the circumstances surrounding the, um, that event, the anxiety, um, and then the beautiful events of the birth of the child. But then at the same time, while, you know, our focus with uh, our decorations and everything is kind of bright and fluffy and beautiful, and I love it. I love that part. But actually, the first thing the angel said to Jesus and uh, to Joseph and Mary was, don't be afraid, because he knew they were afraid. So they pick up on these elements of the story. And I'll give you another powerful trigger for men. And that is, after Christmas in most of our faith communities, they're going to hear the story of Herod, the, uh, the wise men, Herod, learning from the wise men, uh, and Father Dwight. Longnecker has done some great stuff on the Magi. This was not a, this was not a myth. This happened, very likely happened, uh, but it's a little differently than we might think from some of the myths and fables about it. But there were there were very likely three Magi, and uh, and Herod was a, was a type of figure who would be paranoid and threatened, and so when they saw the astronomical events again, which can be studied through science. Uh, and uh, they, and Herod was threatened and slaughtered those infants, which would have been a, probably about 12 to 15 males based on the demographics of that time. So unfortunately, that would have been not a big event given Herod's reign and the death <laughs> and carnage and that it would have happened because he was not always the most benevolent leader. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's possible it wasn't mentioned in historical uh, reports, but the event happened. And when, when a man reads about Joseph and, he, and his role in hearing the angel and protecting Jesus from Herod and from that slaughter, and then he thinks about his role in the abortion, what do you think he's going to feel? Right? He's going to feel shame. He's going to feel grief. And you know what? A lot of folks can feel these things, make some kind of connection to, the, to that past abortion, but... If, if they don't have a way to process that emotion and know what to do with it, then when they go to the family gatherings and they go to the Christmas parties, what, that, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to drink a little extra wine. 
Maybe they're going to get in a fight uh, to express their grief in the form of an anger. So um, not discounting from all the beauty and wonder of the holiday, which again, I love and I'm looking forward to, and it's such a great time for family and children. So I, I don't mean to put it in negative light, just to raise the awareness that some folks are going to be triggered. And here's the good news. We have a message of healing. You know, we have a message that says, look, this is what you might be experiencing. And it's connected to the, it's calling you not to condemnation. It's calling you to, to, to go back and find a way to work through some of these feelings, come to peace, reconcile that action with the Lord, because you recognize at a deeper level that something was wrong there, even though there was a lot of circumstances that pushed you to have that abortion. You recognize it hurt you. It hurts you spiritually and emotionally. And here's the good news of the message of Jesus is he's, he, he's ready to welcome you and bring you to healing. So that's, that's kind of where I go with it. <laughs> I, I think that's such a beautiful perspective because I, I feel like that message, unfortunately, it, and myself included, sometimes that gets lost in outside of all of the, the hubbub of the Christmas season. I'll, I'll think of, of those kind of triggers for post mothers and fathers, the, the, the anniversary of their child dying, the hearing other children driving past playgrounds and these things that, that factor in the memory of lost fatherhood, lost motherhood. And yet, I don't think I've ever actually put that together about, I mean, Christmas, not only the messaging that we're hearing from from the pulpit that we're hearing as we we hear the gospel, but also all of this family time of we have our nieces and nephews running around and we have our it, it's such a a family oriented celebration for so many people that i feel like it, it's often lost that this will be profoundly triggering for so many people as they remember oh yeah my my son or daughter would be as old as my nephew or niece my my child I, I didn't do what what joseph did for the protection of of jesus in such a a crisis time that kind of thing i, I think that's a profound reflection on what post-abortive mothers and fathers may experience through this Christmas season and the importance of Christians and pro-lifers responding with grace, with, with love and mercy and connecting into ministries like Rachel's Vineyard. And, and I think that that can be a beautiful way to kind of put a bow as it were, um, pun <laughs> somewhat intended <laughs> upon this Christmas episode of how do people connect with Rachel's Vineyard? If, if I'm at a family function, I find out that, that one of my, one of the other attendees, whether a sibling, whether a friend or family member has experienced abortion and is grappling with it. How could somebody get connected with Rachel's Vineyard Silent more as a, an overarching entity, but more, maybe even more importantly, and, and I don't know if, obviously you probably don't know all of the, the Rachel's Vineyard retreats happening around the clock because there's, there's over a thousand a year, I believe. How does somebody get connected with um, healing and recovery after abortion as the opportunity may present itself through this Christmas season? Yes, thank you. Uh, the, most, the best way and easiest way is to go to rachelsvineyard.org. And at rachelsvineyard.org, you will find resources for healing, information. Uh, you'll find our contact information for our office. You can ask us for brochures that you can give to your pastor or have available at your church. You can find uh, speakers to come and speak to your congregation. Uh, you know, that, that's really the, the place to go to get started is rachelsvineyard.org. You'll find books from Teresa and I that you can read that will help you understand better. 
and you'll find all the retreat sites with the contact information, email, and phone that you can, uh, so you can find out what the resources are in your immediate area. Wonderful. That that link will be in the show notes below, folks. And so please do have that handy again, whether whether it's for yourself tuning in or whether it's just having it handy for somebody that you might encounter through this um, Christmas season. I think that's absolutely important. Um, Kevin, thank you and your wife, Teresa, and your, and your growing family. I was reading in your bio that, that not only kids, but grandkids. And so I hope this is a beautiful um, Christmas season for you. Thanks so much for all of all of your work, all of your ministry, and for taking the time to join me today on the show. I so greatly appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, folks, that's Kevin Burke, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard, an incredible man and pro-life leader. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the ministry that he and his wife, Teresa, along with so many others have done. Um, for those of you who are connected with CSPR, you know um, full well how often we partner with groups like Silent No More, how often we encounter those who have experienced abortion and how important it is to pass on post-abortive healing um, information towards those that we're encountering at street corners and on doorsteps. And I think that Kevin shares such a vital message when it comes to um, the message of life as it pertains to post-abortive mothers and fathers during this Christmas season, that um, though it shouldn't um, compromise the joy that we experience as as Christians, as those um, celebrating the Christmas season, um, but rather an added component that we maybe we're aware of. Maybe we know that our uh, member of our family, a member of our friend circle, somebody that we're um, interacting with has had an abortion and understanding the profound pain that they might experience while um, remembering their abortion decision. And maybe they've received some degree of, of healing. Maybe they haven't. Either way, connecting them with Rachel's Vineyard and the beautiful ministry that they are able to, to support people through um, in that ministry. Um, check out the show notes for how to get connected with them. And, and I think it's such a, a beautiful and poignant message for us to bear in our hearts and our minds as we um, embrace this Christmas season. And so with that, I thank you so, so much for tuning in. I wish you and your loved ones a blessed Christmas season, um, however that may manifest for you. Um, please don't hesitate to reach out. This is a time for, for joy and community. And and if now is a particularly hard time for you and or your community, please don't hesitate to reach out that, that I would love to be there in whatever way can make sense. Please um, contact the podcast at email at prolifeguys.com. I'll drop that in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, check out Rachel's Vineyard. Hit me up, um, whether social media, whether via email, and and tune in next week. I know that many of you are going to be off, and your routines for consuming podcasts might be a little bit different next week, but I am really looking forward to a conversation that I'll be having with my colleague and friend, Jonathan Van Maren, as we kind of recap and put a bow on the year that has been 2022. And so God bless each and every one of you abundantly, and I hope you have a great rest of your day, wherever you're at, however many hours are left. Mm-hmm.